Hello everybody, I'm James Harper and you're listening to the SCA podcast. Today's episode is a part of our SCA lectures series dedicated to showcasing a curated selection of the extensive live lectures offered at SCA Specialty Coffee Expo and World of Coffee events. Check out the show notes for relevant links and a full transcript of today's lecture. This episode was recorded live at the 2018 Specialty Coffee Expo in Seattle. We're now counting down the days to this year's lecture program, and it's really exciting. Visit coffeeexpo.org for the schedule of this year's offering, with 88 different lectures to choose from. Today's episode seeks to explore our industry's emphasis on educating customers and the value of education for employees. While it has the potential to be alienating, education will always add to an individual's experience of a product in specialty coffee. Lecturers Amy Moore and Jennifer Hare explore the roots of education in specialty coffee, what we are trying to teach people, why, and how this relates to mindful consumerism. Jennifer Hare has been working in coffee for seven years. She began as a barista at Ipsento before becoming the first ever director of training and staff development. Amy Moore's relationship with coffee education began in her kitchen with some green coffee and a popcorn popper, and it took off from there. She directs the public education program at Ipsento, teaching and developing classes on everything from the history of coffee to latte art to brewing the perfect cup. Jennifer, Amy, take it away. Um, Thank you so much for coming to our lecture, uh, Education and Specialty Coffee, Engaging or Alienating. Um, The purpose of this lecture is to examine public and staff education. We're going to be kind of diving into it, how we can make it more accessible. Um, but remember, this is also your lecture, so there's a Q&A portion at the end. We really expect a lot of questions, so be thinking. Um, yeah, and just the more questions, the more we can get out of this together. So thank you. Um, I'll start by uh, introducing myself. I'm Jenny. Um, I work at Absento Coffee, and I'm a little nervous. Um, <laughs> um, my coffee story has basically been like, when I was in high school, it was my dream to become a barista because that was, like, where I hung out after school. Um, and the local coffee shop, like, wouldn't hire me, so I had to wait till I got to college and I could, like, trick them into hiring me. Um, <laughs> <laughs> like, uh, and so I was a barista all through college, four years. I moved to Chicago, and I started working for Absento, where I still work. Um, and I really liked being a barista to be able to interact with people. I loved coffee, obviously, but for me, it was always about the people. Um, one of the most important people that I met during my time at Absento and in my coffee career, I guess, it was my trainer um, at Absento. So his name is Joe. He's in New York now. I wish he was here. Um, but he was, yeah, so patient with me. And it was basically just uh, at Absento, we'll talk a little bit more about this, but we have like a almost six-month training program um, to become a fully certified barista. And that process, for me, it was, like, the first thing that I was ever, like, not good at. Um, And I did milk training for so long. Um, And the patience displayed by my trainer and also just, like, my own perseverance. It was, like, I was fresh out of college. I had to keep working um, at this one thing. It was really transformative experience for me because I just had to, like, learn a lot about myself through that process. Um, and so when it came time for Joe to move, I wanted to be that person for somebody. So now, um, two years later, I'm a director of training and staff development at Absento. Um, we have two shops in Chicago and I work to kind of, uh, like my job is twofold. It's 
kind of a teacher, coffee teacher, basic coffee skills and equipment skills and like industry stuff. And then also a counselor. So that's the staff development part is I kind of work as like a professional counselor for um, the people at our company. And uh, like I said, I've always been attracted to the people and specialty coffee. Um, I love the industry. I think the people are like you all, um, I assume, uh, very like caring and then curious. Um, one of those people is Amy. Hi, I'm Amy. Um, I direct our public education program at Absento. So um, teach classes, create classes for our customers and greater community. Um, and my coffee story is um, a little bit funny, at least to me. Um, growing up, I was always really resentful of coffee. Um, <laughs> I often had the experience that, you know, someone, usually my mom, would be making coffee, and it always smelled amazing, but it never tasted as good as it smelled. Maybe you've had that experience. Maybe it was because she was pulling, you know, um, Folgers out of the freezer, ground who knows when, roasted, (laughs) I don't know. Um, uh, About seven years ago, I moved from Chicago to San Francisco, which is a wonderful uh, specialty coffee community and culture, amazing shops within walking distance of pretty much anywhere you are. And the closest shop to me was a little shop called Blue Bottle. Uh, and that was the first time that I had an experience of coffee that exceeded my expectations, both in, um, you know, the way that the coffee tasted, obviously, but more than that, the way that the baristas engaged you in the entire process. And that was enough for me. It was compelling enough to um, really dig in and um, try to create that experience in my home. Um, A few years later, I moved to L.A. Um, Anyone from L.A. in here? Well, (laughs) if you've ever been there, you know that uh, not much is within walking distance of anywhere you are. So then my mission became to make coffee more accessible to me. So I started Um, home roasting in a popcorn popper, uh, which ruined my life in the best way because that's all I wanted to spend my time doing. Um, So when I was preparing to move back to Chicago about two years ago, um, it was sort of a natural next step for me to find a way to spend the majority of my time thinking about and learning about and talking about and making coffee. And that's where um, Ipsento comes in. Um, In a similar way, I had an experience of Ipsento that exceeded my expectations, and it really is because um, we have this value of engagement from the relationships with um, the farms where we source to uh, the, the training that we have for our staff and the development that happens there, and uh, the community that we create with our customers. We have really amazing, uh, long-time loyal consumers. Um, And so that's a little bit about our personal motivation for education. Um, So now we're going to discuss why else education in specialty coffee is valuable. And the first reason is that it's an opportunity to share. We're really excited about education. Um, and most people in specialty coffee are, <clears throat> excuse me, are pretty uh, nerdy or passionate. <laughs> um, and all of you are in a lecture right now. So that tells me uh, there's something that you're excited about. And it's an opportunity to take what you're learning this weekend and share it with your team, with your people, with somebody else. Um, another reason why it's valuable is it provides us with an opportunity to connect. Um, we can connect the consumers to the product. 
We get to connect people to information. This applies both to consumers and to industry professionals or staff. Um, and we get to connect to each other over shared values, creating an interaction and conversations that may not have otherwise happened. Um, and the third reason is it's an opportunity to sell. Um, education can explain and justify a higher price point, um, why the consequences of higher quality products, um, that can be a little bit alienating without the context of why. Why is it higher? Um, and understanding the bigger picture can make some sense out of the cost. Um, education can also encourage to consumers to try new things. Um, I teach a class every week where I finish with um, a coffee tasting, just a really basic uh, palate training. And I have um, students that come in all the time that, you know, their, their regular go-to drink is um, an iced caramel latte, something like that. And they, they come away saying, like, wow, I really want to try coffee black. I didn't hate it. <laughs> and I, I consider that a huge, a huge win. Um, <laughs> And it kind of brings the attention to the quality of the product. So we're in a retailer, roaster retailer space, and so we get to, to highlight the quality that we work so hard for through education. Um, and then we also educate to sell a value or an idea. Um, we value paying more for higher quality coffee. We value roasting to flavor. We value sourcing natural ingredients. Um, whether you know it or not, every single one of you uh, is creating culture, and you have the opportunity to be intentional about the culture you're creating. Um, so education provides us with an opportunity to be both mindful in the culture we're creating and to create a culture of mindful consumerism. Uh, so we just discussed sales as a motivator for education, which can feel alienating at some times. Uh, so what other factors can make specialty coffee feel alienating? Um, one thing is being lectured or talked at. <laughs> um, we imagine like it, though. <laughs> we all like it, though. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right now, right now we like it. But imagine yourself uh, walking into a cafe space. Um, you approach the, the register, um, and you see an overeager barista, um, who is really, you know, excited and eager to tell you everything that they're learning and th that they know about uh, the coffee they're working with. Um, all the hands. Yeah, <laughs> all the hands involved, the processes, never knowing the whole time that you yourself are a coffee professional. Um, I've seen this happen many times. It's happened in our shop. It's happened at other shops. It's happened to me. Um and this can, you know, overcomplicate a really simple experience. It can feel evasive while you're trying to explain, you know, all these details about the product by and all the while avoiding um, the issue of, of price, of cost, of accessibility. Um, and sometimes it can feel disingenuous. Um, the, the coffee industry can sometimes have a reputation for being young and for being needy. Um, in a recent Spread interview, you guys have heard that? Sounds familiar. <laughs> um, in a recent interview with Spread, Jerry Seinfeld said that coffee and service industry professionals uh, seem desperate for approval, which can be off-putting. Um, eager oversharing can come off as desperation, 
without taking the customer or the consumer's interest into consideration. Um, but specialty often attracts a discerning customer who uh, believes that the product should speak for itself, that it doesn't need a mouthpiece. Um, another point of alienation is that as an industry, we're not all on the same page about everything. Uh, between the debates on flat whites and macchiatos, uh, we can create an environment that feels frustrating, confusing, and inaccessible both to industry professionals and to those outside the industry. And the last point of alienation that we're facing comes from external antagonism. Um, we've developed this stereotype. Um, we're often stereotyped, sometimes antagonized, um, <laughs> as being disingenuous, or our wide-eyed genuine enthusiasm <laughs> can be tiresome to people who haven't had coffee yet. <laughs> So this ex external antagonism isn't always grounded in reality, but it can offer us a helpful perspective and give us some feedback for how to improve. Um, so there are a, a number of ways we can engage, and Denny's going to discuss some of those. Okay, so we just talked about um, antagonism, the stereotypes of the overeager or the snobby barista. So look over here. Um, <laughs> got a nice guy who is making a pour over and it's going to be super specific and he's probably talking to you about um where this coffee came from like who uh maybe maybe who roasted it maybe who who picked it like the hand story again um these are things that are that are really good and special about specialty coffee like we are passionate we like having background and these are the things that set us apart from like mick cafe is this um setting here and so we have some, some really good basics that we're starting with. Um, but we want to do a little bit better than our, than our basics because you're getting the same speech in a lot of especially shops that you go into. And this is um, – we start by talking about, like, yeah, origin, farm. Maybe we'll talk a little about direct trade. It's like, yeah, like, we go direct to the farm. It's like, well, it's not really 10 years ago. A lot of people are doing that. Like, what else can we talk about? Um, maybe I'm a little cynical there, but, you know. Um, <laughs> or, like, our brew recipes. Um, so just some ideas starting and we're going to, we also have a handout. Um, if you have like the expo app on your phone, we have like all of this stuff written in there too. But, um, some ideas for better basics just off the top of our head, which we'll get more into. Um, the idea is that we're going to be less redundant and that we're also like what we're talking about is applicable to our customer base. So we don't have all the same customers in every shop, so we don't need to really talk about the same things. Um, some of those things that, that we like to talk about are our process and roast because we're a roaster. If you're not a roaster, like maybe that's not your, your thing. Um, maybe you're more into your products and ingredients. So we can look to the restaurant industry who um, I feel like every other restaurant, I mean, we live in Chicago, big city, but they're telling you like where they source things from and why they source them. Um, so maybe your products and ingredients are something that you'd like to be uh, educating about. Like where do you get your syrups from, the pastries, you know, what's your relationship to that uh, bakery? Um, also, huge right now, business uh, development and staff. So if you're running like a specialty shop, um, you're running a small business. Um, Cat and Cloud is like amazing with their podcast, giving um, tips on how to run like not just a financially sustainable small business, but also like emotionally um, sustainable. Um, so there's there's a lot to tap into there. How are you developing your staff? Like I really like respect um, Starbucks for how 
upfront they are with like how they engage their staff. So what are you doing with your staff? Um, uh, also emotional labor is a hot topic right now. Um, how are you dealing with emotional labor in your, is that a conversation that you guys are having? Do your consumers kind of understand what that means? Um, that could be like a, yeah, hot topic also. Um, equipment and techniques. This is huge in our shop too. It's like, why do you have Hario instead of Bodum? How do you choose the equipment that you're working with? How do you train your staff to to use it? Why is that important to you? Um, and then last is, is the community around your shop. So the coffee shop is always a community space. Um, are you maybe wanting to educate about your staff? Like you have social media. You can like, you know, I've seen like a lot of barista features. Uh, also your customers, your, you have really amazing, unique customers. What do they do? Um, and then also your neighbors, local businesses. It's also a place where you can, you know, uh, support, support your neighbors. So speaking of our neighbors and our community, uh, one way we can engage, um, that is by offering education for the public. Um, something I'm passionate about. I spend, um, majority of my time thinking about and doing, um, and uh, in our public education program, our goal is to create multiple entry points for our customers, consumers, as well as our staff to engage with us through the experience of shared learning. Um, sometimes this happens outside of the space of, you know, ordering and drinking coffee. Um, the entire pre-retail dimension of specialty coffee is really inaccessible without education. And so public education is necessary to to dig in there in some form. Um, education in coffee is often used to justify higher prices. Um, a recent study from the Harvard School of Public Health said that the U.S. spends about $40 billion a year on coffee. Uh, it's a little bit more than that, I think. And education can help make that money go towards the right things. Um, and transparency in education shows that, you know, we have nothing to hide um, because we're pursuing a higher product quality and uh, we're holding ourselves to that standard. It's a really good opportunity to be transparent. Um, and by creating opportunities for the public to engage, we can increase the understanding of what makes specialty coffee special. Um, so how do we make this information accessible? Um, there are a few ways. Uh, one thing that um, I really want to encourage is less speeches at the register and more redirecting to alternative opportunities for engagement. But you need to create those opportunities. So how can we do that? Um, one simple way is to offer classes. Um, we'll talk a little bit more about that later on. But uh, cuppings, it's a really easy way to engage the public. Um, can offer events around, you know, movies, pairings, um, sensory and palate training, um, can offer physical content, whether it's a postcard about, you know, the origin or about your shop. Um, you can dig into what your consumers are actually asking and answer those questions in a public forum. Um, you can offer web content, um, beyond blogs, um, real practical resources, uh, Counterculture and Cafe Imports do a really great job of that. Consult those all the time. Um, we can engage the public in the way we serve the product, offering um, the customer an opportunity to smell the dry grounds or um, to walk over to the counter as we're pouring latte art. Small adjustments we can make just to make the effort to engage. Um, and we can also create products that invite participation. Um, 
this year we had a coffee from Panama in uh, a washed honey in a natural process, and we served it as a flight, and each coffee was on a different brewing method. One was um, an aeropress, uh, one was um, an espresso, and the other one was on our, our nitro coffee. And so that's just a really easy way to invite engagement for those consumers that really do want to dig in and, and know more. Um, another thing to consider as you're pursuing education for the public is that it's really important to facilitate a shameless learning environment. Um, this is something I care a lot about because I've been in um, a lot of learning environments specific to specialty coffee that don't do that well. Um, so how can we do that? Um, the first thing to keep in mind is don't make people feel bad for what they like. Um, it's not, it's not going to make them cool. want to like it. It's not cool. Uh, um, but if we choose to see it as an opportunity to um, expand uh, the ideas and the products that a consumer is exposed to, then it really does create space for, for shared learning. Um, next, don't talk badly about other products. Um, saying something else is bad is not, that's not going to make your product better. Um, and then the last thing, don't just present a lot of information. Um, as the authority, as coffee professionals, it's our responsibility to go above and beyond and figure out where uh, the consumer, the, pu the public, where they're at and what their interests are. So be curious. Um, I've been to cuppings before where um, they've felt very alienating because it's just all of this information that we we have that we want to tell you and we don't care what you have to offer or how you interact with it. And um, the more you're willing to do for your consumer, the better that experience is going to be for them and for you as well. Um, the last thing to consider uh, when pursuing public education is that it's dangerous. Um, what I mean by that is that... Um, you're going to be held to higher expectations and higher standards, and we're going to need to be able to meet them. And this is why creating an engaging culture within our staff, within our staff education also matters. Um, and that's something that Jenny does really well. She's going to talk about that. Um, so staff education, surprise, not just training. Um, your goal, obviously, like... I that's probably the first time that you interact with, like, especially coffee education is when you're training your employees because you have to kind of get them to know why you're doing what you're doing. So the goal is, like, not to be the only person in your shop or your business that knows how to do everything. So that makes sense. That's good. Um, but what if we think of it more as an investment in, like, our primary resources, which is our employees? So when we start thinking about it as an investment, um, yeah, it you're – you're doing more up front. It's, it's risky, but it's going to be really good overall um, because your employees are going to be more intentional with the product once they know, like everyone wants a why. Um, and especially in especially coffee shops, younger people, younger people love to know why they're doing what they're doing. Younger people are looking for um, ways to connect with the bigger picture. So as soon as you start giving them that information, they're going to be a lot more intentional with the product, which means you're going to be delivering superior goods, which is what you want to do in the first place. Um, they're going to feel that investment, um, which leads to, we believe and have experienced, uh, retention. This is a lot more sustainable overall. You don't have to keep training people, um, which can be <laughs> exhausting. Um, and the more information that people have, the more connected to the bigger picture, uh, it's going to feel much more multifaceted uh, role 
They're going to be emotionally engaged, and this is going to be more meaningful overall. And it gives you more of a chance to connect with your staff because it's always like learning should be a conversation. In telling them what you are passionate about, they're going to connect with you, and you're going to learn a lot more about them. It's going to be a better overall uh, work environment. Um, so, yeah, beyond training, my how can we how can we move beyond training? Uh, my first piece of advice is to get super organized with your training program. So, if you don't have a training program, if it's more just like okay, your first three days, you like learn how to steam some milk. Um, I guess that's not really specialty coffee anymore. We we'll probably all have you know, more into training, but. Um, having a nice structured program that people can learn like on their first day or even when they're looking to get hired with your company, knowing that they're going to be invested in, um, identifying those expectations will be huge because they know what they're committing to and you know uh, what you can expect from them. Um, part of that, I would say, is identifying different learning styles, not just within your staff, but also customers. So being very clear with your staff, not everyone likes the same thing. You're going to have to adjust um, and then recognizing recognizing that in your staff too. Um, that's something I run into a, a lot. Is there are like readers and then not readers. So it's like my technique is like, okay, I'm going to have you read like this whole book. Like that does not work for everyone. <laughs> so being flexible around that. Um, and um, yeah, again, when you make space for a conversation with your staff and around learning, you're going to learn a lot more about them. This will be good for your business growth. Um, and when you're learning more about your customers, it's like networking opportunity, which we all love because we're here. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> further staff education, um, creating more learning opportunities beyond training. So what does that look like? Um, in-house throwdowns are fun and educational for people that are interested in latte art and just seeing like barista performance. Um, you could do like an in-house brewers competition, so encouraging people to like look up brewers cup videos, coming up with their own recipes. It's just a way to kind of give them space to explore um, without necessarily having to like tell them what to do. Um, also, movies for staff are fun. Um, literature, so magazine subscriptions, um, books. These may seem like little simple things, but it's like when our roast magazine comes in, like the staff is like, "Oh, let me see that." You know, it's like a really easy way to expose them to information. Um, also, a staff newsletter, if you have one, with just, like, FAQs from um, from customers or just, like, FAQs from staff. Just getting that information out in many ways instead of just, like, one um, first day. <laughs> um, and then, I think, oh, wait, sorry. Uh, and the last thing, uh, I kind of talked about this, but rewarding staff who are interested in learning more. So, Helping, maybe if somebody wants to come to SCA, helping them get there. Uh, maybe you can't afford to send everyone to SCA, but like giving them the tools to, to come to something like this or even just Coffee Fest or, you know, just giving them the information to go further, um, helping them if you can financially uh, is always nice as well. But rewarding them, um, thinking them as ambassadors of quality worth investing in. Um, and then you're acknowledging like the it is valuable to you that they, that they learn more. Um, and then once they have accrued all this information, listening to it, so taking their advice, making space uh, to create a community of learning and not just being like, okay, you learned, like, I'm still the boss. <laughs> um, so yeah, creating space for that. Uh, reward them with access. It helps you. We have a little anecdote. Um, one of our One of our employees was super into the slow bar, but he was still pretty new. We weren't sure, like... You know, do we want you dialing in the pour overs yet? So we gave him like 
okay, like do a little research, like come back, give us a recipe. And he was like all about it. Like he like went hard. Um, and he came back and it was like, he was dialing in some like amazing recipes and we we're like, okay, we're going to give you, you know, a couple more jobs. And then now he's our slow bar manager. So it's like, you have a little bit, people like show up and then, and then you got yourself a slow bar manager. <laughs> um, another member of our staff is ourselves. So leader education. Um, and this is something we've talked about, like throughout, uh, planning for this lecture is just like, where do we get our knowledge? Like, let's examine where we're learning. So we're here. Um, we pr probably get our various like coffee emails, like barista hustle subscription. And I'm like every, you know, checking that out. Uh, but examining where our knowledge comes from, does it only come from the industry? How can we kind of expand out of that? Um, I think I've, I've mentioned like the restaurant industry, but like, taking a multidisciplinary approach, looking to other industries for what inspires you there is very valuable. None of us really like went to school for coffee. Um, I think we say that a lot, but it's like true. We've all brought new experience. Um, so to keep, to keep remembering that, to keep looking uh, for other ideas, those ideas can also be in your staff. Your staff is coming with a lot of uh, experience that they can offer you too. And looking maybe even to our customers. For example, I mentioned like learning how to teach. Well, guess what? We have a lot of teachers as customers. So it's just like, how do you handle this? Like, what do you do this? Um, also looking to other shops, just remembering that not, um, not every shop is like your shop. Not every city is into the same things as your city. Um, and all this is related to having a, a conversation around coffee. So remember it's a two way, two way street. So we've spent a little bit of time discussing how to better engage our customers, our staff, and <laughs> ourselves. Um, now let's discuss the key to engagement, and that's authenticity. Um, and our generation love this word. We love authenticity. <laughs> it's our favorite thing. It's become a cliche, but cliches are cliche for a reason. In this, in this case, um, it's true. Um, authenticity is the key to engagement. Um, and so the first thing that we need to do to cultivate authenticity in these spaces is to examine our motives. Um, before we can ask somebody else to engage, um, we need to take a self-inventory. So start considering, uh, what is your motivation? We're going to come back to that. Um, is it sales? Um, if it is, be mindful about the stories that you're using to sell things, um, you don't want to be manipulative, you know, using the trope of the struggling farmer. Um, but you can honestly and authentically talk about the mutually beneficial relationships between roasters and farms. Um, in, this, in this context, you just want to keep in mind that you're contributing intentionally. Um, are you motivated by engagement, by creating community? Um, Consider, are you making space for what another person, the person you're educating, what they have to offer? Or are you the only one with something valuable to say? Um, we're up here. We're giving a lecture to you. Um, but having just said that, please come and find us and tell us about what you're learning and what you're teaching and uh, what's, what's interesting to you, because we want to hear about it. Um, and then also consider, do you have a reason? Is it the thing to do? Um, what got you here in the first place? 
So practically, how do we cultivate authenticity? Um, it's really important to think about that why. Think about the motivation. Um, the content is only engaging if you actually care about it. Uh, not every coffee professional cares about the same things, and that's really exciting. Um, it's an opportunity to learn. We're all here. We're all here for different reasons. Think about some of the people you've met so far. Um, have you asked anybody what they're here to learn about and what they're excited about? Um, if not, there's still time. Start doing it. <laughs> and the more passionate you are, the more engaged, uh, more engaged your staff and your consumers will be. You have the power to create community around what is important. Um, and your motives matter. So how did you get here? What brought you to this place? Um, passion uh, engages in a practical way. Um, it's an opportunity to uh, bring it back to the bigger picture. And it's a challenge to find new ways to tell old stories. Um, so talking about, let's take the example of, you know, TDS and measuring the extraction in our coffee. That's not going to be, you know, the most compelling thing to every consumer. But um, may even be snobby. <laughs> it might, might be alienating. Um, but if you get into a conversation where um, you apply it to the reality that it helps you uh, consistently create a cup of coffee that tastes really good, then that's practical. That's compelling. And that information becomes valuable. Um, and it's also important to develop educational content based on things that are, are practical and relevant to you based on your personal experience and on your expertise. Um, your values should drive your education. Um, are you a shop that makes all of your own syrups and you spend a lot of time developing that? That's awesome. That's an opportunity to, you know, teach a class about syrup making, um, if you're excited about something, it's going to be contagious. Other people will be excited about it, too. And the established path for education and engagement doesn't have to be the one that you follow. Um, maybe everyone is doing a cupping and you just really don't want to do it. That's okay. Um, maybe you source all of your coffees from the same country. It's an opportunity to engage your, your community, your consumers, and talk about why. Share about the history of that origin and, and, and what is motivating that decision. Um, maybe the certifications you prioritize are really important to you. Um, maybe you spend a lot of time reading about and researching your water quality. Uh, that's, you know, something you can educate about. Um, maybe your emphasis is on your experimentations and roasting. These are things that your consumers are going to be interested in and their areas to explore in education. Um, in any, uh, in any event, in any class, in any um, situation where you're engaging people in public education and staff education, um, you want to make sure that you're encouraging participation, dialogue, and interaction. Um, so we've uh, talked a little bit about authenticity, um, and now we have a little call to action for you all. Uh, we started this lecture by sharing our whys, our motives. Um, and now we want you to consider or reconsider yours. Why are you doing this? Whatever it is you're doing. Or are you still doing it? Yeah. Um, who are you educating and how will you connect? Are you prepared for more mindful consumers? Are you prepared for empowered employees? If your passion is authentic, then you will create a culture that is both engaging and, and meaningful, impactful.
and you'll avoid alienating. Uh, so that's all we have for you guys. Um, we're happy to take any questions you guys have. Good morning. Hi. Um, I'm Nick from Mighty Good Coffee in Ann Arbor, and we have four cafes now and are now growing, a, a codifying a training program. So while we've had one person do it for a long time, now we need to train trainers to do it, right. which is terrifying because then there's more people, <laughs> opinions are going to come in. Totally. Gonna what they want. My most important question I think is what are your tracking tools that you're using to say this person has met these objectives or has done these things how are you how are other people in your organization aware of where let's say a barista is in their training cycle and how do you empower them to be invested in meeting certain objectives over time awesome so um, yeah that's a great question I have you started training trainers yet or you're, you're working towards it? Okay, awesome. Great. Um, so we have, Epsendo is very checklist oriented. We have checklists for literally everything. And so in just our basic training program, that's how we run it. It's basically, um, I, we do like modules. So you'll start with like register and like slow bar, milk, espresso, and you have to kind of test out of each thing. Um, we do for those tests, a combination of practical exams where it's like timed and you have to do everything perfect. Um, we also have written exams just to make sure that everyone's on the same page with like how we want to answer frequently asked questions. And then also just like uh, recipe memorization and stuff like that. Um, so yeah, the, I guess testing is, is the number one thing. It's like you get um, one try uh, to, to get it right. And then you can like retest later. I know that some companies are more um, intense about that. I don't, I don't believe in like punishing people for like, you know, you have to wait six months before you can test again. I think that's ridiculous. Um, but like, yeah, we also have like re retests. So, so yeah, testing. Um, and then once everyone has, t has completed all those, they're like fully certified. Um, as far as training trainers go, um, how we measure people's, um, job performance right now is kind of, uh, it's called like a bar evaluation. So once you're a fully certified barista, we do this, uh, quarterly, um, and it's modeled actually off of the barista competition. So it's the, it's a whole rubric, um, which is shop specific. So we have, we have two shops right now. Um, and it's, yeah, whatever, whatever you need to test people on, you just put it on there and then, you know, um, so the way that we do that is like all announced, like, okay, we're doing bar evaluations the next two weeks, like review, um, the rubric, make sure that you know all this stuff. So it's a good way to get everyone like, um, looking at exactly what they need to be doing if they haven't looked at it in a while. Uh, and then you have to get a certain grade on the bar evaluation. So, um, I have actually two like junior trainers under me, um, for when I'm not able to train everyone and they have to get a certain score on those bar evaluations. They have to be fully certified. Um, and then whatever, uh, other like certain things that I need them to read, I would also just be like, check these off. So checklists, does that answer? Yeah. Oh, um, we also send emails. We have, we have an email to our sh like shift leaders. Uh, so we always tell them like where everyone's at in training too. Another question. Hey, Hey, I'm jumping in to say that an audience member is asking Jennifer and Amy whether they have done any quantitative analysis to see how training affects a company's financial performance. That is a great question. I do not uh, at this time have data for that. <laughs> um, we are starting. I'm from Newport, Rhode Island, uh, Empire Tea and Coffee. We're starting a training program 
because we've opened more stores and we're expanding and our owners, I'm a manager and our owners are, you know, uh, delegating tasks instead of Mm -hmm. trying to do everything themselves. So we're at the point where we are, uh, you know, promoting trainers. And one of the things that I see is, you know, coffee is a young industry. We have a lot of college kids. How do you, how do you get your employees to go from being this is just a paycheck to this is something I am curious about and I want to commit time and effort to this job? Totally. <laughs> well, <laughs> sometimes you can't. Uh, no, I'm just kidding. Um, I think the trick for us has been having a really intense hiring process um, I know not everyone is like living in a city where everyone wants to work in coffee. Um, Chicago is really lucky in that way. But yeah, letting people know when they take the job, like what the expectation is going to be, and then taking the time to learn about them. Um, I think like being in touch with people's personal goals, it doesn't, they don't have to want to be, you know, like a 20 year coffee professional. They can want to do something else but as long as you can relate back to that i think you can you can always find a way to relate the job performance to like what they want to do long term i think that's been really helpful for us you anything on i think anything you can do to um create the feeling that you know it's a team um is also really helpful from from that point from the you know from the beginning from the hiring like how does how does this particular um job connect with um your long term goals and then also in the practical day to day you know instead of um kind of asking a person you know what haven't you done to kind of just adjust the way that your your um interaction goes by saying something maybe like how can i help you and how can i help you uh, get to where you would like to be and be a resource to you. I think that's been really helpful for us to facilitate the spirit of, you know, taking ownership and taking responsibility. And, um, you know, it is for some people, it's just going to be a job and that's, you know, there's not a whole lot you can do about that, but you can model taking ownership. So, um, anyway, I, I first want to thank you guys, um, for having such a really organized, well put together, um, uh, presentation. Oh, thanks. Um, <laughs> Thank I, you. And Jenny, I sat next yeah. to you on the plane hey. the other day. Um, <laughs> nice to see you again. Anyway, I'm opening a shop, um, and uh, this is a kind of a second pass into this uh, business for me. But I've spent the last 25 years doing something completely different. Um, and so it's going to be really hard for me to open a shop in a mid to smallish sized town and wait six months before I have certified totally. baristas, <laughs> um, unless I can import them or something, right. but, uh, which I can, but I can't really afford to do that. <laughs> so any resource material you could uh, point me to that you know can help me sort of... Um, you know, at least have probationary baristas for the first. Yeah, <laughs> yeah uh, that's a that's a good point too. There's, um, if you have the time, we do like one hour a week trainings, which is why it takes so long and have so many modules. So you can definitely scale back on that. Um, Specialty Coffee Association has okay. so much stuff online um, that is really helpful that you can kind of cut through. Barista Hustle is also doing coffee. Is everyone familiar with Barista Hustle? Um, they just started doing kind of like online coffee modules uh, for just like learning different things. But that website, my, like learning stuff aside, just is 
amazing to just tell them, uh, ask employees to read like one article on there. So baristahustle.com, major shout out, love them. <laughs> um, yeah, but it's, th- that's like the most well thought out um, resor- resource material I can think of. Thank you. And I have, I have another question. Oh yeah, nice. Uh, seems like we have a lot of uh, you you made a comp, you made a reference or a set of phrase earlier that I I've never heard before, and I think it was emotional staffing. Did I say that right? Um, I mean emotional labor. Emotional labor. Thank mm-hmm. you. Can you talk about that a little bit? I, sure. That's a. Do you want? You can. Okay. Uh, <laughs> so emotional labor is a concept that I think millennials are really latching onto, and it's this idea that you have to. This is very true in specialty coffee and just the service industry in general is that you got to be nice to everyone and that niceness has to seem really authentic. And that can be really exhausting because it doesn't leave a lot of space to just be yourself. Um, I think it's, you know, partly because people are reviewing you all the time now, like on different, (laughs) it's like showing up everywhere. So there's no... um, there's no space to have a, a bad day and not be called out immediately. That being said, like, you know, you should always, you know, you should try and connect with people and not <laughs> feel mad. But, yeah, emotional labor is just this idea that um, you're having to work labor additionally, just emotionally, I guess. Um, and Amy's going to help me clear that a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just to, well, to clarify also, yeah. <laughs> um, that comes from, you know, the consumer's that that's an expectation from them, but it, it also happens within the staff yeah. and, um, you know, in, uh, management roles and supervisory roles, um, a lot of emotional, that's nice. Mm-hmm. A lot of emotional labor is required for you to support your staff as well. So I think that that's what, that's what we're, we were referring to there. Hey. Hi. Um, can you hear me? Mm-hmm. My name is Melissa. Um, I own Brewpoint Coffee in the Chicagoland suburbs. Uh, we love Absento. You guys do awesome. awesome stuff. So thank you for the presentation. Thanks um, for coming. Yeah. So uh, my husband and I opened up a shop about three and a half years ago, kind of on a whim. And when we started, we just became kind of second wave, kind of naturally, because neither of us had really done coffee. Um, and now we're three years later, we're three shops and we just opened a specialty shop that's like third wave and in the Western suburbs. And it's a really like fancy, neat place, but I'm finding that our original customer base is, um, the whole, the whole gambit. Like it's, you know, old, young, um, you know, as diverse as it possibly could be. And I'm finding with having a specialty shop in the suburbs, I'm getting more and more, um, people feeling like they're not included because it seems too like specialty almost. They're alienated. Yes. Mm. And so then I then we made like a really hard push to be like, no, like this is a community space for everyone. And then I noticed that some of our staff started feeling less of a pride in the coffee because we were focusing so much focusing so much on community. And they started come kind of going like um, against each other versus together. And so I'm curious how you guys do education when it comes to trying to really hit a full market of people, not just the like millennial who's interested in coffee, but really like everyone across the board, making sure they feel included um, first and foremost to the customer base, but obviously like making sure we have the right staff that really believe in that as well. Um, and so yeah, I'm curious how you guys go about doing that. Sure. That um, is definitely something we've run into. It's like, we, we want to just be all about coffee. I would recommend having a very like diverse uh, interests in the staff. So we have like, okay, we need, I mean, it's not like this simple, but it's like, we need like some coffee people right now. Um, we hire mainly based on like, can people engage? So 
they don't need to have like you can train uh coffee skills but you can't train like loving people um so that's the number one thing that we look for and when when they love the customers they're also going to love the people that they work with and you're just building a better Mm -hmm. team in that way um again i think it's it sounds like you're already doing like step one, which is listening to what people on staff are upset about, um, hearing them and maybe creating like creating space for them to do what they're interested in in coffee, but reminding them like, Hey, this is about like, these people are like paying your, you know, like you gotta engage it. Like it's not that it's not one or the other. It can definitely be both. Um, I think this is also a really um, helpful place where where, uh, public education comes in. Um, It's just reminding me of an instance where uh, I was telling, you know, one of our baristas that we were having a public cupping and um, uh, invited them to come and uh, they were able to see firsthand the questions of, you know, like the, the different people in attendance who are, you know, coffee professionals, people who, you know, like barely even like coffee and somebody got it for them as a gift, you know, the whole, the whole range. And so kind of bringing the reality of, you know, where the customers are at and, and your staff together can kind of naturally move forward in that way. I've seen that be really helpful. Um, also just the way that we're, we're communicating in, in the space is really important. Uh, for example, the signage in your, in your shop. Um, we were, we were just talking about this because it's something that we feel like we have struggled with, um, and have seen some really great examples of in local shops here, just, you know, making things really, really clear and simple, um, but not compromising the quality of the product. So, you know, finding areas to be accessible. So maybe it's like uh, setting your shop up so that it's not so scary when they first come in, like ambiance wise, like clear, like menu placement and stuff like that. So that the employees don't have to do all the work of like welcoming people. And that's definitely, yeah, something we could work on. <laughs> it's like the employee has to meet you at the door and give you the, the, um, menu and like, okay, is everyone good here? Um, but yeah, letting the whole shop kind of welcome people in so that the, so that the baristas can still focus on coffee. Thanks. That was a great question. Good morning. Thank you guys so much. It's great information. Um, I'm Sam. I'm from Southern Idaho. Our coffee shop is called Twin Beans Coffee Company. Um, You spoke about learning styles Mm -hmm. and identifying different learning styles in education. Um, My question being, when we were developing our training program and our education, I was blessed with a slew of employees with very similar learning styles. Okay. So my whole training revolved around that learning style, and now I've realized I have some baristas with wonderful skills and um, love of people, and I think I'm the roadblock in this situation because I'm training in a way that's not effective for them. Um, Do you have any practical input for how to identify learning styles um, and educate two different learning styles. Sure. So um, I think what I do now is something based off of like what's called the learning styles inventory. So you can like search online um, and basically just help people kind of, if they don't already know how they like to learn, help them identify that um, and work with them. But on the first day, like orientation or first day of training, I'll be like, okay, so are you more hands-on? Do you like reading? Do you like, how do you, how do you feel when you take tests? Um, just kind of talking to them, asking them what works for them has been really helpful to me. Everyone, like 
everyone is like, oh, I'm a hands-on learner. Uh, <laughs> no. But um, so then I used to be like, okay, but first we're still going to read. But now I've kind of realized to, to adjust to that, to listen to them, to believe them, and be like, okay, we're going to throw you into this. Um, so, yeah, again, let me back up a little bit. So I ask them how they like to learn, and then I start with that. But I still have, like, the same three things. So we do the hands-on portion, you do the reading, and then you do the test. So it kind of hits all three. So that's still an expectation of everyone, but it helps me like prioritize what's going to work best for them. Um, so asking them and then building it into your training program. Um, and then I, I would also say that like the fact that we have written tests, because not everyone likes written tests and it's very stressful for some people. So I even have the option of kind of, we can talk through it. So if people don't like sitting alone and reading it. So for example, to get registered certified at Absento, you have to um, answer, it's like 20 questions that are like the FAQs uh, at the register. Like, um, do you have soy milk or, you know, um, and so some people really like, they just go really write really long paragraphs to everything and other people would prefer to talk that through with me. So both of those things are acceptable. Yeah. Does that help? That does help. Um, do you have any input on how to do that in your public education as well when you're doing Ooh. large groups of people? Yeah. Um, uh, well, with a larger group of people, uh, doing learning style inventory isn't, isn't always practical. Um, and to be honest, I find that those learning styles come out on their own. Um, but all of the classes that that I create, um, I try inc- to incorporate every learning style. So um, a little bit of you know lecture, a little bit of of hands on um, video and audio where I can incorporate it. Um, and so I think yeah, incorporating as many learning styles into a class or an event. Um, is the best way to handle that with a larger group of people. Hello. Hi. Thank you for your time and putting a well thought and honestly very important um, lecture for everyone here in the industry. I'm Rodrigo Vargas. I come from Bethlehem, PA. I'm originally from Puerto Rico. I had to leave um, due to the hurricane and I moved to this town. Well, basically, we only have one specialty coffee shop and I start working for this place and basically a lot of the things that the older employees, employees that have been there working for four years, three years, basically a lot of their practices are not that um, quality-oriented quality and are more into like the rush type of things or not caring that much about what they're doing and Basically, as the operation has been going on, I've been trying to teach like the new employees and the older ones as well. And basically what I am experimenting is like a lot of resistance coming from the older employees. Like they learn at first, they employ it in their workflow, they do well for let's say five to four days, and afterwards they're doing the same stuff over and over again. And then they are basically just... Like having that push of having like a new person coming in, trying to make the, what's best for everyone, and they showing a resistance because they feel that they've been there for longer. Like what will be the best course of action into educating these people while at the same time maintaining them like motivated to grow more into the industry and not be there just for their paycheck like they're used to. 
That is complicated. <laughs> are you are you training or? Yeah, I'm training, okay. and honestly, it has been easier for new people that come in there totally. that they that they are like basically they already have a passion for things and they are like eager to learn. Right. But my issue has been mainly with the older employees that they never had like a learning experience and they are showing a resistance towards learning. Totally. I think we, you know, we got to find out what their motivation is. I like, there's something I think that, oh, sorry, this isn't bothering me. Um, they have to care about something. If it, you know, I can't just be the, the paycheck, like, and maybe helping them identify that, giving them the whys on like why it's important, why it matters. I think like not everyone is this way, but people, I, in my experience, like motivated by doing a good job. Like if you can show them that doing a good job is possible and it is, it is very possible to, to do quality and speed, like yeah. showing them that that's possible. Um, it, I, the best thing I could think of is like, it makes them feel good, you know, showing them that, that it's possible, that it makes them feel good and that you're like in it with them. Because I mean, there's definitely going to be a resistance, like new regime, don't like this. Like I am used to the old way like that. And that makes sense. And yeah. like meeting them there and saying like, I understand like this might be difficult. Like having that conversation, having that connection mm-hmm. can go far to get them like trusting that this isn't just like trying to ruin, you know, their experience. Um, what are your thoughts on that, Amy? Um, I think it's also good to ask them, those that are more resistant, if there's anything specific that they'd like to learn, mm-hmm. um, because maybe they're, you know, pushing back against what's being, what you're trying to teach them, what's be, what they feel is being imposed on them. But, um, change is really hard and I've experienced, you know, um, some, you know, working in a shop and, uh, somebody new or doing something a different way. And I get really defensive. I'm just going to be really honest. I'm like, this is, you're doing it wrong. The way that I do it is the right way. Um, but, uh, when, you know, when I have the opportunity to kind of dig in and take ownership of the information, um, it makes me feel more motivated. Um, so that that could be a way to go as well, because maybe there are some specific things that they would like to learn that would kind of open up that shared learning experience. Okay. Thank you. Yeah. Hi. Thank you all so much. This has been a really great lecture. Uh-huh. Um, I'm Kyle. I work for Noble Coyote Coffee in Dallas. Um, I'm the only full-time employee so I have the distinct honor of wearing a lot of hats. Um, I do all the sourcing. I do all of the uh, education. And I also put beans into bags. Um, so when I started our education program a couple of years ago, we had like five people show up for a cupping. And now every month um, on the first Saturday, we get about 30, 35 people. Wow. Um, it's kind of like overflowing our space. On the one hand, it's like, cool, this is working. Um, on the other hand, because I'm so busy, I feel like I'm not able to put enough into this. Um, and it's getting bigger than I can handle. So on top of the, the cuppings, we're also doing brew classes where I have to actually write curriculum where it's like, okay, this is what we're going to teach people and why. Um, so for s- people with very, very limited time, like running around doing lots of stuff, what would you say are the essential things to focus on for a public education program where it's like, if you do this, that's good, uh, the other stuff can kind of come later? 
Um, I think it depends a lot on um, your consumers and the people that are coming to your classes um, and really really trying to gauge what they want to know. Um, uh, generally, I think people are really interested in cuppings. I think they're interested in, you know, how to make better coffee at home. I think that those are things that, you know, everybody wants to know. Um, if you're, you know, trying to get, are your cuppings free? They're free. Everything's free. You could start charging for your cuppings, probably get a few less people showing up. <laughs> Maybe, and you maybe can hire someone. Yeah, and then you can hire you. somebody else to, to help teach. Um, but yeah, honestly, um, I think I'm I'm not I'm maybe not kidding about charging for cuppings, but um, I think digging into uh, the the people that um, have already been participating, and maybe if you have their contact information, sending out some feedback forms. Um, mm-hmm. I uh, recently starting, started doing that with some classes to see, you know, are, is what we're teaching really what people want to know? Um, and generally, you know, the people we're interacting with, it is, you know, how to taste coffee, how to um, tell the difference between good and bad, how to walk into a specialty coffee shop and not be intimidated um, when I see, you know, like this coffee that's from Ethiopia and it says natural, like, what is that? What does that mean? You know, to make that a little bit more accessible, open that up. Um, but that might look different for your community as well. So. Hi, my name is Kate. Um, I'm from Hawaii. I think I'm might be one of the only people in here, but I'm a farmer. Um, and I own a coffee farm in Kona and we do tours of our farm and then cuppings, um, of just our own coffee. And the biggest problem I have that I was hoping you could address is having all the clientele, the customers that come in, knowing nothing about coffee. Like, we're not, like, a specialty coffee shop that's drawing people in. Like, most of the people who come in are a lot older, drinking K-cups at work. They're just on vacation, and they want to, um, you know, in, enjoy some a coffee experience. But we're, like, the first place they've ever experienced anything different so that's the, my first question and then the second which is similar is that we're one of the very few farms doing that so a lot of farms are still i wouldn't even call it second wave like we're talking <laughs> first wave oh just roast up like a hundred pounds and put it in your garage type of <laughs> type just of coffee. burn it yeah so um so also when i'm educating not disparaging other farms at the same time like I don't want to talk badly about them, but for many of them, they aren't trying to be part of specialty coffee. Mm-hmm. Yeah, totally. Um, well, the, to address the first part of your question, personally for me, the, those uh, uh, customers or you know students that come in to a class and don't know anything... I, that's my like my favorite type of student because then it's just like the you know the world of coffee is your oyster um, but I think it's really important in that setting to um, first of all to come back to that idea of not creating um, an environment that shames them um, but to really see like how can we how can we expand you know your horizons in your relationship to coffee Um and to count any, um, you know, new understanding as a huge victory. Um, if, you know, you're probably having um, people, okay, let's take the K-cup example. If you can um, get somebody who regularly drinks K-cups to even think about, you know, trying to make 
their own coffee on like a countertop drip, that is a huge win. Because how many more variables do you have control over with, you know, a drip than you do with a K-cup? And that's, you know, every every small movement forward is a huge victory. Um, and then, um, what's the second question? Oh, um, disparaging other <laughs> farms. Um, I think, not <laughs> yeah, not, not doing that. Um, I think if you're doing something that you're proud of, um, that you're excited about, you know, really just, just stay there and, and focus on that and talk about that. Um, and, and people are going to come to their own conclusions. Um, when I, I use, um, in, an example when I'm talking about roasting and I compare it to toast and, you know, you know, take a piece of toast that you, uh, got, got from your favorite baker and you toast one piece for one minute and the other one for 20 minutes. One, you're going to be able to, you know, taste all the, the nice nuanced flavors from the bread. And the other one, you're going to be able to taste all of those subtle, uh, nuanced flavors of the inside of your toaster. <laughs> um, and kind of compare that to roasting. People draw their own conclusions and will connect that to certain companies that don't have the same values that you do. So if you can focus on helping people make those connections and taking ownership of new information rather than, you know, highlighting the, the perceived faults in other companies, it's, it's really going to highlight the quality of what you're doing. Yeah, I also wanted to say that you're like in a amazing position. Yeah. You have so much like to open people's world, <laughs> you know, like it's to it seems like a like a burden probably, you know, and like yeah, when people come in you're like I have to explain all of this to you, like but you're really lucky and I think just like thinking keeping that in in your mind, um the you're you're opening this door to people. It's like something that they they already like, they're there, you know, but to to teach them about this whole new world is like an amazing opportunity um and to keep you know <laughs> thinking that and the fact that you're doing like something different um and you're doing it well it sounds like and it offers you a fresh perspective it's been probably a really long time since the first time that you had coffee or the first time that you had you know good coffee and so every um every person who's new to that information to that world it's an opportunity to come back to that perspective and think about things differently so. <laughs> We're coming to visit. <laughs> Hello. Oh, hi, ma'am. <laughs> My name is Carrie. I manage a coffee shop in the South Loop of Chicago. Um, I'm actually a wholesale client of Epicento, so you guys already know I love you guys. But my question is, so I took over this shop about two months ago, and prior to me managing, um, it was owned and run by a couple for the entire eight years of its existence. Um, so all of the staff I've inherited, minus two people that I've just hired, but with that, I've been making some changes to the way that the shop is run and the way that we handle coffee. Um, Jenny was my trainer, so of course all of her rubrics and checklists I'm like all about. Um, but I say that to say the customer base, they don't seem to be as excited about the changes um, oh. in a lot of ways. And our staff is having, they're having a hard time. They were really eager because they weren't taught with any sort of real standards. Um, so they've been excited to learn, but uh, so I guess my question is, I have some staff members who are, like, really eager and probably present things that are in an alien, alienating way. Then I have some staff members who just, like, aren't excited about it at all. Mm. And then they come to our customers who also are split kind of down the middle, where they're excited about the changes, noticing the difference. And then I have some who are just, like, you know, they feel like it's not really adding anything or they miss the more engaging 
way that uh, the previous owners were in the shop. So I guess my question is, how do you deal with that tension between your staff and some of them being excited about the changes and then some of them kind of feeling like it's just more work? Um, mm. And then, yeah, <laughs> like that's a lot of them just feel like you've just you've just made it more work for me. Um, they're not necessarily excited about the product. So like, how do you deal with that tension between your staff and your customers? <laughs> I think we'll go back to team. Mm-hmm. We're a team. How can we get people to feel like a team despite like what their personal opinions are like in the workplace and again ultimately your goal is to sell the coffee and so you can you can have both types of customers um and to to remember that like again not having to do the speeches to everyone do you feel like you're struggling to get people to stop doing the speeches yes yeah (laughs) Yeah. Uh. i think for them they i don't know and maybe you can help me maybe i need to communicate in a different way i think for them they think that's the only way to educate them totally and to not share the information feels like they're like not doing their job so i guess that's another tension yeah um i think um encouraging them to ask good questions and to be curious about the customers and mm-hmm. um, if they don't already have um, relationships with the customers and are you know creating community creating regulars mm-hmm. um, to think about how they can how they can think about interacting um, and turn it more into sort of relationship building and I think that way you know they're gonna gain information and better be able to educate. Uh, the customers. Um, and then also the split between, you know, those staff that are, um, that have more interest Mm -hmm. and those that, that have maybe a little less interest in, in really digging into the product and the new way, um, the restructuring of things. Um, I think, you know, excitement is engaging and it's contagious. Mm -hmm. And, um, for those of your staff that are really excited about it to encourage that. Um, your other staff, are, they're going to see that kind of take off mm-hmm. and it's, it's going to mean something to them. Even if they, you know, don't get excited about coffee, mm-hmm. they're, they're going to be impacted by seeing, you know, their coworker get excited about something. Mm-hmm. Um, and to, to, you know, really facilitate that. Um, and if you can bring your staff to, you know, cuppings or classes or conferences, um, I think encouraging that, that excitement is a good way to go too. As far as like feeling like it's more work, um, yeah, maybe you've burdened them with like more knowledge Mm -hmm. and higher expectations, Mm -hmm. but that, again and like I think we've talked about this like personally a little bit but it's like knowledge is power um I'm giving you tools and like you can choose what you want like you're like oh I have too many tools I don't want to build anything but it's like (laughs) you can do a lot with that and like and giving them space to see that for themselves I think is is valuable like hey I'm asking you to be like the best employee you can be right here like that's I believe in you. I know you can do it. That's why I haven't fired you. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. She knows, what, she knows my humor, so I can do it. Um, but, um, but you know what I mean? I believe in you. I'm not giving you this information because I'm think because i trying to like burden you. I want you to be able to like do a better job. I want you to see that your job has meaning, that your life has meaning. Well, you know, take okay. it. But, um, yeah, connecting with him. But, you know, what's the deal here? And some people aren't going to go for it, you know, but... Um, Always bringing it back to that bigger picture, I think, is helpful for both sides, actually. But 
I did have a second question. Oh, you yeah. mentioned signage earlier. And so the previous owners were all about like really giving information as far as the farm and where it came from. But more like Amy was saying in the shaming way of like, don't you realize they don't have any like livelihood and like that kind of stuff? So how would you say to make it simple and clean, like what would the key points of um, information be maybe like on a bag of coffee or even just in the shop to engage your customer? I think focusing on what feels authentic to you is really important. Um, that, you know, triggered something for you because it doesn't feel real. It doesn't mm-hmm. feel authentic. So really spending some time, maybe with your staff as well, maybe that's a good way to get them involved, thinking about, you know, what do you value and um, what are, you know, three things that you want um, your consumers to, to come away with? What are what are a couple of things that you can you want them to know and sort of distilling that information down. Um, Cause it sounds like um, in this case, it needs to maybe be a little bit more simplified mm-hmm. and intentional. Mm-hmm. Um, in some cases, you know, it's something that's, you know, you need more of, but uh, it doesn't sound like that's the direction. So really kind of focusing in and seeing if you can narrow it down. I used to love how um, Intelligentsio would have like little handwritten notes about like what it was like in that company when they sourced there. And it's like, yeah, it doesn't have to be like what life on the farm is like if that feels like weird, but just like, what is it like in that country? How can you kind of see that this is like not from like here? Um, And then, yeah, okay, that's it. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. Yeah, thanks. Hi. Uh, Hi. Hi, you guys did a great job. Very proud. Um, (laughs) um, My name is Ivana. I'm actually from investment firm. And uh, we are the K-Cups guy, <laughs> uh, which uh, we actually did an amazing job. We partner with company with just specialty coffee. After a couple of weeks with them, they um, explain me a lot of stuff. You educate. <laughs> they educate extremely well. Uh, my question is this for you guys. Uh, how long is your training programs and what's the turnaround? How many people actually finish the program and how many people you lose? Um, yeah, so I said I said six months earlier. Um, it can be done as quickly as three months, depending on um, a lot of things. But um, I would say with that, if we stick to three months, if we're training every week, um, we can make it. People that finish the training program tend to stay. Like in our staff is like the only thing I can reference right now. But the people that finish get fully certified. Um, they tend to stay like over a year. I would say to two to three years on average or like no about two two years um for people to finish our training program is what is what we can expect and then um people that don't make it usually leave before they get to milk training right um so it's a really like the training program is is good for two reasons because you're getting them to do exactly what you need them to do but you can also see like who's not gonna make it like who who can't keep up with doesn't like this pace, like it's not for them, um, which I think is valuable because then you can like, before you get in too deep. Um, I think that's all we have for time. Thank you guys yeah. so much for <laughs> sticking with yeah. us. Yeah. Yeah. That was Amy Moore and Jennifer Hare at Expo in 2018. Remember to check out our show notes for a full transcript of this lecture and visit coffeeexpo.org for tickets to this year's event. This has been an episode of the SCA podcast. Thank you for joining us.